0: Well, good evening, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Uh, So glad to have you all here. I'm glad God uh, tested our patience this evening with that train. So unless you were here really early, uh, many of you got caught up in that train, but we're really, really excited uh, for you all to be here. So if you're new, I'm Pastor Josh. This is Wednesday Night Bible Study. This is a great place to get to know God and to get to know some people. So let's open a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the Word of God. We're thankful that we can uh, read it, uh, study it, learn from it, and most importantly, apply it to our lives. Father God, in this moment, I ask that you speak through me uh, that I am unable and unfit to do this without you. And I ask that you give me your grace, fill me with your Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me through this text. Be with our ears and open them. Be with our hearts and soften them. Uh, Lord, be with those who are not here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so if you got my email, uh, we are starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. If you did not get my email, we're starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. If you got one of the handouts, there's two sides. On the front side has all the questions on it. On the back side actually has the text we'll be studying. So I say I get saved everyone a step. At the bottom of the front page with the questions are all my references. So all the references I'll use tonight should be there. Uh, there might be a little curveball down the road, but we'll see how this goes. I, I try to make this as um, user friendly for everyone. I know we come from different walks of life, so I just try to make it uh, good for all. Amen. Amen. All right. So let's read Matthew chapter five, starting at verse thirty eight. You have heard it was said. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Who's heard that statement before? Mm hmm. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what is your what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The word of the Lord. This is a, um, this is a beautiful end to this chapter. We, we have taken the last five weeks and we've walked through from verse 1 to verse 48 and we've, I think if, you're, if you've been following along, you're going to begin to see a picture. We begin to see how God, how Jesus, through his words, has set up a design for the Christian. That we can see how he wants us to live our lives. He started with the Beatitudes and then talked about the fulfillment of the law. And then he began to lay out piece by piece from anger to lust to d- adultery, divorce, oaths. Now retaliation and loving your enemy. And, and, and for many of us, I think this is something that's going to touch home in a different way. Because, see, in, in our world, we, Hollywood loves the vigilante. My wife and I love this TV show called The Blacklist. Yeah. Yes? Okay. So we're, don't, don't, we're on season six, so don't say anything that happens after that. <laughs> Oh, only five. Sorry, we're in season five. But Liz, the main character, is on a a vigilante path, war path. She has, at this, where we are, she's surrendered her badge and she's on the hunt for some people who did her harm. So I'm trying not to spoil the show for anyone who hasn't seen it. Think of one of the greatest superheroes... Of all time batman batman is a vigilante he feels that he is above the law that his life that his purpose is to justify or bring to justice those who are evil whom the law enforcement officers who cannot touch right is that is that not what he does ultimately he's out because of vengeance of his parents but when he begins to realize that he has a gift and he has an ability, almost a calling, if you will, that he becomes a vigilante. And this is, I think, true for all of us. We all love justice, correct? There's not anyone in this room who would say, I love injustice. I want the bad guys to win. I want the good guys to lose. And I don't want any retaliation for the evil done in the world. Good. You're all on the same page. We all want justice. Now, we might have different views about justice. We might see how justice could play out in different ways. And that's not what I want to get into. But I think deep down in our hearts, we want right to win. We want to see that if there's a wrong committed against another, that they're brought to justice. And this is what even God intended. He, through the law, made a way for there to be justice. And it was about equal punishment for the crime committed. So if you, had, if you were a farm owner and you were working and let's say your farm equipment failed and it knocked out your, guy's, your employee's tooth, he had the right to come and take your tooth. If you stole, if you took for someone, the, 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 the punishment was cutting off your hand. Right. It, 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 now, was this always the way that justice was played out? No, because eventually, over time, what happened is people began to manipulate the retaliation that the punishment became worse than the crime committed. And this is what Jesus is trying to write. And, and it, it, it was right to take someone to court. And I fully believe in civil justice. We have a court system for the, a reason. And we got to use it and we have to trust it. But sometimes we feel like we got to take it into our own hands, right? Because usually it's minor offenses, right? We all drove here. Yes. No one flew and no one was teleported, correct? All of us drove. If the guy in front of you cut you off, right? Someone was in that far left lane and cut all the way over to the right lane and caused you to jam on your brakes. What did you, how did you feel? Hmm. Right and, and, and if you're driving on the interstate, right, and you're cruising and, and you know, you, you, you got that little heavy foot, so you're slightly exceeding the speed limit. And you're cruising and you're in the middle lane, but all of a sudden someone comes from on, on the on-ramp, across the center lane, right in front of you, and then does 65. How do you respond? You honk your horn, you, you swerve around, and then you slow up in front of them going, ah! that's the heart that God, Jesus is trying to break, right? And that's where he gets into these words of saying, don't resist the one who is evil. Now, this isn't saying let evil win. This is not saying that you don't have a right to self-defense. This is just saying that if you feel like you are the vindicator for the crimes against you, you're almost as bad as the person who's committed the crime themselves. The person, by, by trying to play tick for tat, you no, know, you'll never win. You will always try to get the upper hand, and then they do it, and that's that's how road rage starts. If someone sues you, you give them their tunic, right, for your tunic, and this, people would sue for your clothes. I mean, literally giving the shirt off your back. And in Israel, in, in that time, it got cold at night, so giving them their cloak meant you were vulnerable. It, it was not... This was... Crazy thinking, right? If, and so in the Roman soldiers, verse 41, it says, If anyone forces you to go a mile, go two. There was a, uh, a law of compulsion. That you, the, the, the Roman soldiers had the ability to take anyone and make them carry their, their load, their burden, for one mile. Now, it wasn't a full U.S. standard mile, it was actually a little shorter than that. But Jesus is saying, if they go, if they force you to go one, show them Christ inside of you by going two. And then immediately thereafter, we we see this again. The last time Jesus says that you have heard it been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right. Unfortunately, this is not scripture. The, the the Pharisees and the scribes and the rabbis had made it a way for people to believe that it was okay to hate someone who was different. They were actually teaching hatred of people. That's why the Jews did not like the Samaritans and no less any other Gentile for that reason. They actually, within reason, could hate someone of another tribe. If you were from the tribe of Judah, you didn't have to like someone from the tribe of Benjamin. And, and so... Leviticus nineteen eighteen is actually where the scripture comes from, and it says, "You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself." I am the Lord, and that statement that follows, "I am the Lord," is like saying, "This is evil. It must be done. It must be done this way." So, if you read all of Leviticus 18, 19, 18 and nineteen. Into 20, you'll see the Lord every time he says, I am, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God, he's trying to put that emphasis that this statement that I'm making, I want to be very clear, it's important to me. So let's balance this with some other scripture. If you want to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Here's your first curveball. This is not in your references, so you can write it down. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, For for to this you have been called. What have we been called to? Because Christ has also suffered, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Which means acting and bearing hardships and suffering as he did. And this is what Peter uh, describes. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him, God, who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins on his body, on a tree, in his body, on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. The, the, the call that Peter is seeing is that we have a need to live a righteous lifestyle. Peter probably for a moment is, he could be even thinking back to the Sermon on the Mount where we're Jesus is telling them, do not return evil for evil. Do not hate your enemy, but pray for them. Love them. Bless them. Paul says it this way. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Starting at verse 16. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The Greek word there for all means all. If possible... So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I'm going to read that a second time. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The sentence structure there is a little little funky. I'll give you that. But I'm going to break down in short. The main person in the sentence is you. Your responsibility is to live peaceably or in peace with all those who are around you at all costs, at all times, if possible. There are not always going to be moments of peace. A few weeks ago, we talked about being a peacemaker instead of a peacekeeper. Peacemakers have to make hard decisions to make peace where there is no peace. That means engaging in conflict, even if you don't want to. That means speaking up for the truth, fighting for justice, standing in the gap for those who are lowly, those who cannot fight for themselves. It may not look like peace, but it will make peace. Beloved, verse 19 Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written. So, this is Old Testament Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head do not overcome by evil do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good dietrich bonhoeffer said the only way evil will triumph is for good people to do nothing He also said that silence is an action in and of itself. So if you have the ability to speak and you remain silent, you have committed an action. You have cast your vote. We have, as dear Christians, brothers and sisters, we live in a world full of injustice. We personally want our own justice. We want to be right I'm the first person to tell you that I like being right. And usually for the wrong reasons. As my wife laughs from across the room. We do, right? I don't think there's anyone in this room who says, yeah, I like being wrong. It takes a massive amount of humility to admit that you're wrong. And this is a great lesson that we have to learn. This is actually how we're going to change the world. Without being a a fatalist in mindset, but just trying to be real. If you read the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and you get into the prophets, and you look into Daniel, and you look in Ezekiel, and you look in Jeremiah, and you look in Revelation. The world is going in a very sour direction. Right? The, 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 the actions of man are becoming more and more depraved. The, 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 the thinking that we have are becoming more and more worldly, more and more focused on ourselves and our pleasures at whatever costs. That's why there's slavery. That's why there's pornography. That's why there's drugs. That's why there's a long list of other things that I don't have time to mention that we have and are thriving Because we are worried about me. I matter more than everyone else. That's what the world tells you. You matter most, right? That's why we spend $40 billion a year on self-care and self-help books and trainings and conferences and podcasts to better ourselves. Why? Because we want numero uno to be taken care of first. The Bible is very clear that we're not to think of ourselves that highly, but to think of others in a higher status than ourselves. And one of the ways we do this is by seeking justice. IJM, the International Justice Mission, serves around the world helping people who are in bad situations find justice for their causes. So if you ever wanted to support a ministry, that would be a great one to look into. So we're beginning to see that this isn't just Jesus, but Peter and Paul are, are trying to encourage us to live a different way, to really live peaceably with all. And, and I would like to go back for a moment with just in words, just to hear me out as even this is what the Beatitudes teach, that the, the, the call to be pure in heart, to seek, to hunger and thirst after Righteousness. To be merciful, to be a peacemaker, and to be meek. When we had talked about being meek, I didn't give a great definition, and I knew I was going to get back to it. But here it is: is is meekness? Is the power to retaliate, but not meekness is knowing that you have the full blown capacity to fully retaliate above and beyond that which has happened to you and you exercise restraint, that is meekness. And I didn't write that down. That just came out of my head. So if you ask me to repeat it, I can't. <laughs> but is that restraint when we've been wronged? Is that restraint that when things aren't going our way that we don't try to become Batman, put on the disguise, and seek justice as a vigilante? Verse 48, be ye, oh man, the King James just came out of me, ye be, (laughs) you therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The Greek word here for perfect is teleoi, T-E-L-E-I-O-I, teleoi. I love this word because it doesn't mean what you think it means. The American or the Western thinking of perfect has to do with straight A's, right answers all the time, looking a certain way, dressing a certain way, perfect house, perfect clothes, perfect spouse, perfect kids, right? Everything is always right, correct? That, that's how we would define perfect in the world. This gift is going to be perfect for them. Why? Because it's going to be everything they want. Oh, I'm not going to... I don't, I'm not going to get a job until I find the perfect one or I'm not going to buy it until it's perfect or I'm not going to do this until everything's perfect. I want my wedding to be perfect. I want my birthday to be perfect. I want the cake to be perfect. Right. We use this word to describe something that's pristine, holy, blit without blemish. Yes. OK. That's not the biblical definition of perfect. The Greek word teleoi means fullness. It's, it's completeness in, of Christian character. The idea is that it's tele, T-E-L, is, really means to come to an end. The, the, the word really comes from the idea of when you go into um, an orchard, and let's say you're picking apples, which I've never done, but it sounds cool, and you're going to only pick the ones that are ripe, They've come to completion. They've come to teleway. They are ready. They are ripe for the picking. Does it make sense? So, so a better word, and, and they're not wrong by saying perfect because what they're saying is that it is mature and complete. As Christians, we are called to be perfect because God is complete. And in his actions, he is mature. There's nothing that he has to grow into. He is the end of oven himself. So as Christians, what Christ is calling us to do is not to be without blemish, but to be mature. It's the same word that James uses in uh, James chapter one. He says, by the testing your faith, that steadfastness may have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That the idea is that you have come into wholeness. Paul uses the same word in Ephesians where he talks about coming into the maturity or fullness of Christ. So because Jesus calls us to be perfect as the Father is perfect, we must then look to the perfect source as an example, and we look to Jesus. Isaiah 53 I'm not going to read it. I really wish I could. I I don't have the time, but I I implore you that this week you read all of Isaiah 53. You're going to read phases that are very familiar. You're going to come across words that you're going, wow, I've heard this before. A lot of times you hear it around Easter. But this is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, that, that it tells us of what Jesus will be and what he will do. Right? One of the f- famous lines is, He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him, He bore our sins. That comes from Isaiah 53. So I'd like to take a moment, if you will, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is just before 1 Peter. And The reason I say that we look to Jesus is because the Bible tells me so. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in which sin clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross Desiring, despising the shame and seated at the right hand on the throne of God. This is why we look to Jesus. So I just want to flip through some scriptures. The references on your sheet. Just just listen. This has to do with the crucifixion. Starting in Matthew 26. Jesus, the the last supper has finished. Jesus has made his way into the garden. Starting at verse 53. His do you not think. So the guards have come to arrest him. Right. This is the setup. He's in the garden. He's finished praying. And Judas has come and given him a kiss. And the the people, the crowd, the guards have come to arrest him. And Jesus responds with this is do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels Just so we're all on the same page, a legion is 1,000. There was about 200 soldiers. He was going to call 12,000 angels at once. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all of this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus is telling us right here of what he just told us in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in verse 17, 18, where he says that all the scriptures... And all the prophets, all the law must be complete. And he's telling us right here that it's about to be finished. A little free verses down, verse 62. And it says, And the high priest stood and said, You have no answer to make? What is that these men testify against you? And it says, But Jesus was silent. Jesus had the full ability to defend his case because he was in the right. But he said nothing. Verse 67 and 68, it says, They spit in his face and struck him. They slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who struck you? And he said nothing. Matthew 27 verse 13 and 14 then pilate said to him do you he, do you not hear how many things they testify against you but he gave them no answer not even a single not even to a single charge so that the governor was greatly amazed Matthew 27 26 through 32 then they released from them barabbas and having scourged Jesus delivered him to be crucified then the soldiers un- of the governor, took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion together before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reeds and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and they led him away to be crucified. The word there, scourged, doesn't give due justice. The Romans were professional pain inflictors. And they used a device called the cat tails. And it had been uh, a thick leather handle with nine leather straps. And on the straps, they would tie uh, pieces of metal, like old rusty nails, pieces of bone, maybe pieces of glass and they would whip the back of those they were scourging up to 30 times 39 times so that's what they did and then they robed him and put the cor- crown on his head and then they stripped from his blood-stained body the robe that it adhered and hit him and spat on him and placed a cross on his back Verse 32, it says, and they went out and they found a man named Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to carry his cross. And this is going back to what Jesus had said. If someone compels you to force a mile, go with them too. But all this, they nail him to the cross. They mock him while he's there. He says these words in Luke 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They slandered his name, and he gave no defense. They hit him, and he did not strike back. They berated him. And he gave of himself. They begged of him and he gave of himself. They placed a robe on his back and they took it along with flesh and blood. They gave him a cross and he paid for our sins. And in the end, he said, forgive them. This leads us to a really hard um, crossroad. For if Jesus went through all this and in the end wrongfully accused, having committed no sin, said forgive them, what gives us the right to retaliate? What gives us the right to say, well, I am justified in my retaliation? What gives me the right to say I can hate someone because they're different from me? What gives me the right to act in an unjust way against others? Doesn't. The Christian life is hard. Trust me, I live it every day. It's 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 God's desire through his Holy Spirit to help us walk this out. Because as I prepped for this and got ready, I was like, wow, this is this is going to be really hard. Because I like to be right. And God, you're telling me that I don't have the right to be right. That there is a different way that you're calling me to. And you're calling us as Christians to live. There's a the whole idea of being holy, of people set apart. We we're called to be different. To live a life that when they look at us, when the world looks at us, they say, man, there's something different about them. What is it? And then we can say it's Jesus. Because I, I, I'm the first one to tell you that it's, it is my flesh to want to please me. But it's because of God inside of me, the Christ within me that compels me to live different, to act different, to respond different. Thus, the the title of the last three messages have been Be Killing Sin. Or sin will be killing you. Because if we can live in this vein that we think that we can be justified by our actions in the end, it's killing us.